Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Summer is here, and we've got stories for you this week about farmers in the Ojai Valley battling drought, wildfire, and rising temperatures. The smoke was here for so long that it did affect the trees. Plus, we'll hear about incarcerated youth training to fight wildfires in Amador County. I I took the opportunity to come to fire camp, be a firefighter. As a kid, I always wanted to be a firefighter, and look what happened. And in a small shop in San Bruno, the pleasures of boba with a taste of Tonga. The grandma charbu milk is to die for. It's so good with black boba and the otai. Oh my God, can never miss, you know? I'm Sasha Koka, and this is the California Report Magazine. We're gonna start our show in the Ventura County town of Ojai. It's got this charming main street with tile roofs and Spanish-style architecture. And on weekends, it fills up with hip crowds spilling out of restaurants and boutiques. The downtown is surrounded by orchards, some olive, some avocado, but mostly citrus. It's got mountains on the north and mountains on the south, and it's got sun all day long. So starting in the 1800s, people who could afford to would come out from the east and winter here. These are two longtime Ojai residents and farmers, Jim Churchill and Tony Thatcher. Ojai has had the tennis tournament since the 1880s, and then it's had the Ojai Music Festival since the 1940s. But it's also had an industry around, I guess you could call it spirituality. With spiritual centers and schools dating back to the 1920s, at my L.A. high school, every senior class went to Ojai for a retreat, complete with a sweat lodge. It served as a getaway for people from L.A. and Hollywood over the years. The Ojai Valley's climate has also been ideal for growing certain kinds of crops. Historically, it's been known for delicious oranges and now for delicious tangerines as well. But that idyllic climate is changing. It's getting windier, drier, and hotter. A recent study showed that of all of the counties in the lower 48 states, Ventura County's temperature has risen the most over the last 125 years. 
Fire, drought, wind, none of it is good for farming. Neither is Ojai's rising cost of real estate. Lisa Morehouse brings us this story now as part of her series, California Foodways. She's traveling to every one of California's 58 counties to bring us a story about food. When I walk into the packing house at Friends Ranches, Tony Ayala is getting ready for the weekend's farmer's markets, sorting tangerines by size. So right now what I'm doing is all the smalls go there, the mediums go straight into boxes. While he's working, I ask about changes he's seen in Ojai's weather. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, every year there would be snow in these mountains and there would be snow for weeks on end. Now, if it snows, it lasts maybe till noon, if that. He says the biggest difference for him was something he witnessed over the course of his first career, the 25 years he spent as a firefighter and battalion chief. The winter was the time to get a lot of training done and things, other things. You didn't have to worry about fire, but Thomas Fires was December 3rd. I mean, that's one of the biggest fires we've had in December. A relentless and behemoth blaze, the Thomas Fire forced thousands of new evacuations today in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties. The Thomas Fire in California is now the state's largest wildfire since the 1930s. The Thomas Fire in 2017 caused an estimated $170 million in damages to Ventura County's agriculture industries. Flames came right over the metal building I'm standing in with Tony. They lost 3.5 acres of tangerines and avocados. Citrus trees don't carry fire very well. And this whole valley is citrus, and that's what basically saved us. But the fire impacted farmers in ways I'd never considered. The smoke was here for so long that it did affect the trees. Gases in that wildfire smoke made fruit mature faster and drop. Tony takes me outside to point out another way fire can hurt crops. Erosion. The mud came through and went into that orchard. After a hillside burns, nothing's holding the soil down. And after the Thomas fire, a big rain started a slide. Mud buried the trunks of more than an acre of trees. We lost a bunch of trees down there because it gets up so high, it just kills them. He tells me ash and fine silt hardened in creeks and stopped water from percolating down into the soil and recharging the aquifer. Water lines burned, plastic irrigation lines melted, power lines were destroyed. We didn't have power here for weeks. Which meant they lost coolers full of juice and had to borrow a heavy-duty generator to run a pump to irrigate their thirsty trees. Because that's a must. They're not going to wait. Now, the fruit Tony's sorting on the line today is a special citrus this valley is known for, the Ojai Pixie. Pixie is one of those varieties that we have a bit of lore about in Ojai. That's Tony Ayala's father-in-law, Tony Thatcher. Yes, another Tony. It was the early 80s. Tony Thatcher and his wife had quit their academic lives to work for her family's outfit, Friends Ranches. Across the valley, Jim Churchill, who spent much of his childhood in Ojai, had only started farming avocados a few years earlier. I didn't know anything about agriculture, but I grew up walking through the orange groves, and I know what a ripe citrus tastes like. The Pixie was an experimental variety of tangerine developed by scientists at UC Riverside. Small, light-colored, seedless, and easy to peel. And it had a late season. 
the folks at Friends Ranches planted some. I realized early on when her children were small, they were just cleaning the bottoms of those trees as far as they could reach. It looked like, you know, feral pigs had gone through your orchard. There was no fruit, but there were peels. So that's uh, kind of a, a wake-up call for a farmer. And Jim Churchill came along. I pulled something out of a bin, and I peeled it and put it in my mouth. And I said, Tony, what is this? And he said, it's a pixie tangerine. Jim's a great promoter and better than I am at promulgating things. And I just thought, this is what I'm going to grow. And he did. And Tony also planted more. And eventually, with a few other farmers, they started the Ojai Pixie Growers Association. Jim says despite reaching out to markets across the state, he just couldn't find customers for pixies for a very long time. And he wasn't sure the farm was going to make it. Things finally changed with a groundbreaking restaurant 350 miles away in Berkeley. And uh, I could never talk about this without crying. Lindsay Shear was the founding pastry chef at Chez Panisse, and she took pixies and put them on the menu. And that was kind of, um, you know, then we were okay. Pixies gained credibility. Now, nearly 40 years later, Tony and Jim and other Ojai Valley farmers ship pixies all across the country. At his organic avocado and citrus orchard, Jim Churchill is up on a ladder picking the last of the season's pixies. I ask him, with wildfire and other signs of climate change affecting this valley, what's his biggest climate worry? Well, drought is the primary one. All the water that anybody has in the Ojai Valley, it all comes from the sky. Unlike other farmers in the state, they're not connected to state or federal water projects. And because of the drought, they're having to cut back their water use. But orchards aren't like row crops, things like strawberries and lettuce, that are planted each year. It takes three to four years before a tangerine or avocado will bear fruit that a farmer can sell. So farmers take a big hit financially when they rip out their trees. Jim says some of his neighbors have dug up sections of their orchards. We didn't do wholesale removal, but we took out some trees, things that just weren't productive, or things that died we didn't replace. For the past 20 years, Jim's also been mulching, building healthy soil and keeping trees cool in the heat. And it's good for runoff. We don't have any runoff from this farm. He uses water-saving mini sprinklers and even installed monitors throughout his orchard to measure exactly how much moisture leaves are releasing into the air. When it tells me that an inch of water has been drawn out down from a particular irrigation block, then I apply an inch of water. Avocado trees basically shut down if the temperature goes above 95 or 100 degrees. One farmer near here told me during a heat wave, avocado trees dropped so much fruit, it sounded like rain. Jim and his partner obsess over the weather and irrigate ahead of a heat spike to keep trees cooler. He says they check each irrigation line for problems every time they turn one on. Looking for blockages and leaks, because there's always something. You know, a coyote will grab a hose or some crud gets in a line. We are very careful. 
Jim takes me on a drive. So just look off to the right. What do you see? I see a lot of dead trees or dying trees. Yeah, he just turned off the water. It wasn't worth it to him. And we stop at a vista point overlooking the Ojai Valley. We're looking at a panorama. In the far distance is the Topotopo Mountains, which is kind of why I live here, those mountains. It's no wonder that this view was a stand-in for Shangri-La in Frank Capra's film, Lost Horizon. Welcome to Shangri-La, Mr. Conway. You see, we are sheltered by mountains on every side. A strange phenomenon for which we are very grateful. Come, let me show you. On the edge of the valley, we see avocados. But mostly it's citrus. What can you see that I can't right now? Well, look at that dead patch in that olive orchard. You see that bare patch up yonder? They just took that orchard out. People have been abandoning orchards because they don't pay. And also new people are buying them who aren't farmers. Because Ojai is a hot spot in more ways than one. Temperatures are rising and so are real estate prices. Jim knows this valley's been a destination for decades. And in the last three or four years, Everybody wants to live in Ohio. seems like. People with money from industries like tech and entertainment. They're buying 10 acres. So all of a sudden they have a whole bunch of lemons or a whole bunch of oranges. I never heard this term coming out of Jim's mouth, but other locals told me about the nickname Flap. Fricking LA people. Back at Jim's warehouse on his orchard, I ask, what's the issue with more wealthy people moving in? Well, it raises the price for people that live here. And if you own property, you're fine. And if you don't own property, you just can't afford to live here anymore. So the texture and flavor of the town is very different than it has been. And, and I, I know this is happening all over the United States, but it's particularly intense here which puts Jim in a funny situation. He's 75, and his orchard's on land that's probably worth a lot. And I have money as long as I keep working. And I am reluctant to sell the land to the people that could buy it from me. And, you know, I haven't got a solution for that. Neither does his old friend, Tony Thatcher. You know, being an old man, I'm reasonably pessimistic that agriculture may not survive in Ojai. And he sees the irony in what he tells me next. We sold one piece of property. You know, what are, What do we do with that money? Well, we went and bought two rental units. <laughs> so that's exactly, it didn't go back into agriculture. So even as they're doing everything they can to keep their trees alive through drought and fire, these farmers are uncertain about the long-term future of growing crops here. For The California Report, I'm Lisa Morehouse in the Ojai Valley. That piece was produced in collaboration with the Food and Environment Reporting Network, a nonprofit investigative news organization. It's another hot, dry summer here in California, and that means fire crews are on high alert. Alongside professional firefighters, 
young people who are incarcerated are also out on the fire lines. They're part of a program within the juvenile justice system to provide job training. But as KQED's health correspondent Leslie McClurg explains, historically it's been hard for people who were formerly incarcerated to find firefighting jobs once they're released. A fire captain unlocks and lowers the rear door of a red fire engine about an hour east of Sacramento. Go, move, move, move! Young firefighters, suited in bright orange uniforms and hard hats, unload in a single file. Fire ground crew wide, prepare for tool inspection! Ready! Ready. The group of 18 to 25-year-olds stand tall with chainsaws slung over their shoulders. Saws! Safety check! Today is spring training for Pine Grove Youth Conservation Camp. The first drill of the day is throwing oneself to the ground and deploying a red fire shelter. Fire's clear, we got good air. Everybody up out of your shelters! Then they head out for a four-mile trek wearing full backpacks in 90-degree heat. Extremely hot, extremely dry, decadent brush, heavy fuels, a lot of dead and down. Eric Schwab is a captain with Cal Fire. Mix in some poison oak and, uh, and it's pretty fun. At the top of a steep climb, the young men pull out their shovels, rakes, and chainsaws. Fifteen guys start hacking a wide trench through thick forest. They're out here cutting sticks, trees, brush, and uh, scraping down to bare mineral soil. 20-year-old Gerald heaves an axe overhead and then slams it into a tree root. We're not using his last name because he was convicted as a juvenile. You know, I'm used to the big city, but now I'm around woods, trees, pine trees and stuff. So this dirt smells different from the dirt I'm used to. It's like more natural, like more earth-like, you know kind of gave me like a good, put me in a good mood. Gerald spent the last three years in juvenile detention in Los Angeles. I, I took the opportunity to come to fire camp, be a firefighter. As a kid, I always wanted to be a firefighter and look what happened. He wipes sweat out of his eyes. He says he's nervous, but excited to be on the front lines this summer, working 24-hour shifts. I'm going to push through it. I'm not going to give up. He'll only earn somewhere between 3 to $5 an hour on an active fire. Pretty measly. But that's the highest paid gig in the state's criminal justice system. Gerald is saving all he can because he can't wait to get home and see his three-year-old son once he's released from Pine Grove. The facility feels more like summer camp than jail. There's no barbed wire or guard towers. Soccer field, baseball field, football field. Michael Gomez is the superintendent. He points to grassy fields with picnic tables surrounding one-story classrooms where teens can finish their GED. There's even a salad bar in the dining hall. Pine Grove was one of 41 fire camps that opened in California during World War II. Now it's the only one left in the state for teens. You know, I tell them, I don't want to treat you like an inmate. If, if you want to be an inmate, that's where you go in there. Here, we're going to treat you like a worker. But it's tough for these guys to get a job once released. Most California agencies require firefighters to have a paramedic license, nearly impossible to get with a felony. But a recent state law allows previously incarcerated firefighters to have their record expunged. Saw our first youth actually is now became a Cal Fire firefighter. First time I've ever seen that, and so I'm extremely proud of that guy. He did a great job. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's helping people, but, but it doesn't help everybody. Ashley Dennis is a lawyer for Root and Rebound which is a prison re-entry advocacy group. It's been a bumpy road as far as implementation with the courts and CDCR. Dennis says it's tedious and time-consuming to navigate the legal system. Plus, if someone has committed arson, murder, kidnapping, or a sexual offense, they can't petition their case. California passed the law two years ago. 
and yet only a handful of youth from Pine Grove have landed jobs fighting fire. My biggest concern is that folks coming out still having an incredibly hard time getting these full-time positions as firefighters when they have done so much work while they were incarcerated. The work is not only hard, it can be dangerous and even deadly. During training today, 25-year-old Tramel was rushed to the hospital after suffering from heat stroke. Today was like the first time I ever hiked like 91 degrees in the sun. Again, we're only using his first name because he was convicted as a juvenile. Tramel says the conditions are brutal, but it's way better than life in a general population prison. Thousands of some people in the chow hall, fights every day, somebody getting stabbed, you got to worry about whether you're going to live or die. He has spent nearly a decade in the criminal justice system. When he was a teenager in Los Angeles, his family fell apart. My dad, he wasn't like really in my life like that, like in and out, living the streets life. Then my sister, she was um, like missing for a while, so my mom, she working, so there's only so much she can do and stuff like that. Tramel says he turned to gangs and then soon landed behind bars. He managed to stay out of trouble, which is why he requested a transfer to Pine Grove. The smell, fresh air and all that. Learn to use an axe, use a chainsaw. Someday he hopes to find a job fighting fire or working in construction. I'm going to use these skills when I get out. Tramel is scheduled for an early release next year. For The California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg in Pine Grove. And now we're going to cool down with something sweet, boba. It's definitely my family's go-to summer treat. My kids actually like it better than ice cream. They beg for it as a reward for almost any occasion, after a doctor's appointment or a sweaty karate practice. You can find boba shops all over California. Some of them stick to the original tea with tapioca balls. Others have expanded their menus with smoothies, slushies, or coffee. So to start a boba business that stands out takes some creativity. For our series, Hidden Gems, where we take you to out-of-the-way spots around the Golden State, Amy Mayer found a surprising specialty at Kiss My Boba. Uh, We try to come up with a uh, unique name that once you come to our shop, you wouldn't forget. Kiss My Boba started as a food truck. When the pandemic left some storefronts empty, husband and wife team Willie and Chelsea Totola saw an opportunity. Their shop is in San Bruno on the busy El Camino Real, just 10 minutes from the San Francisco airport, which means travelers often stumble upon it. We were at the airport and we wanted some place close by and we kind of just looked it up and so... Chelsea Totola says she hears that nearly every day. The airport is also a source of repeat customers, thanks in part to Willie's family. A bunch of my husband's family works for United, which is just like six minutes from here. Willie's family comes from Tonga, an archipelago in the South Pacific that has a circuitous connection to boba. More on that in a bit. Tonga is also the source of Kiss My Boba's signature drink. Our most popular drink is the Tongan mango otai, and it's a, it's a specialty beverage that we'd have at, at our Tongan family functions. And the idea to serve the drink came from family, Willie's mom. When Kiss My Boba, the food truck, was new and traveling to cultural festivals in the Bay Area, she mixed up a big batch of the shredded coconut and mango drink for them to try to sell. 
she brought two buckets to us and it sold out immediately. They still use his mother's recipe. But Chelsea says making otai is labor-intensive, especially grating the coconut, despite upgrading from cheese graters to commercial-style shredders. Today we're working on 100 orders right now. That will take two five-gallon buckets. So we'll do like maybe six or eight buckets today alone. And Willie says there's a connection between boba and tonga. Taiwan gets credit for the first boba, or bubble tea. But cassava, the plant that gives us tapioca, which gives us boba, is also part of Tongan cuisine as a starchy side or a particular dessert. That's called faikagai, and it has a um, tapioca base that we use, and it's similar texture to what boba is, but just a little bit bigger. And we use a coconut cream uh, and burnt sugar sauce that we use with it. Oh, that's a good idea for a drink. Every new idea that sends him into the kitchen puts his science skills back to work. Iteration is key to getting the perfect recipe. Chelsea comes from a restaurant family. Before Boba, she worked as a police detective. When the food truck business grew, the couple decided to ditch their day jobs. We always had so much more fun working our Boba food truck after working on the weekends that we're like, why? We love this. Why aren't we doing this every day, all day? I will be right with you. And then can I get a uh, large Coke? Um, the Totolas have found that otai appeals to many without a Tongan connection. Christian Medina also orders one, plus another favorite drink. The grandma charu milk is to die for. It's so good with black boba and the otai. Oh my God, can never miss, you know? Chelsea says nostalgia, whether for strawberry milk or a family celebration, features strongly on the menu. One popular house specialty has bright colors and a range of flavors. That drink is our Cool Runnings. Um, that's one of our favorite Disney movies, is Cool Running. About the unlikely Jamaican Olympic bobsled team. Feel the rhythm. Feel the ride. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool Running. So it's like the colors, the red, uh, yellow, green. So people really like that. What's in it? It's um, pineapple, green tea, green apple jelly, and then uh, a splash of cranberry juice at the top giving it a vague resemblance to the green, black, and yellow of the Jamaican flag. The Totolas like playing with fusion of colors, tastes, and cultures. They're developing an horchata coffee that will give a nod to both Mexican flavor and coffee culture. We've been kind of learning and working on coffee drinks, too, for more of the day crowd that wants coffee, or a lot of maybe people come in for their kids or someone else for boba, but then they like coffee. Boba stickers? The Totolas are hoping customers will stick around to taste whatever sweet treat they come up with next. For the California Report, I'm Amy Mayer. You can find more of our Hidden Gems series at kqed.org slash hidden gems. Coming up next week, we've got an episode from the exciting new season of Imperfect Paradise, a podcast from our friends at LAS Studios. The Forgotten Revolutionary tells the story of Oscar Gomez. He was a Chicano student leader during a time of explosive anti-immigrant political rhetoric here in California in the early 90s. Some people thought Oscar, who was a radio DJ at UC Davis, 
was going to be the next Cesar Chavez. I mean, he was right by the by the state capitol. He was talking the radio and all that. It would, he was not afraid to say things about the governor. He was not afraid to talk. I just remember tuning in to the campus radio station and having that connection without physically being there. He was fire. He was charisma incarnate. But for KPCC reporter Adolfo Guzman Lopez, Oscar Gomez was also someone who would change his life. Two and a half years after that photo of the two of us was taken, I would be out of college and freelancing for weekly newspapers on my way to a public radio career. And Oscar? Oscar was dead. The story of Oscar Gomez, the forgotten revolutionary. That's next week on the California Report magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Susie Racho is our producer-director, and our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Kevin Stark, Amanda Font, and Amy Mayer. And I'm Sasha Coca. You've been listening to the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.